Can the American people trust FDA's leadership to decide on an emergency use authorization for COVID-19 vaccines based on an independent assessment of the data, untainted by political considerations? Welcome to BioCentury This Week. I'm Jeff Cranmer, Executive Editor of BioCentury, and I'm joined by... Simon Fishburne, Editor-in-Chief. Steve Usden, Washington Editor. Virginia Lee, Associate Editor. We've got a great podcast for you this week. We will be discussing FDA's leadership during the pandemic, as well as the state of venture financing. But first, we're going to let you know what's coming up next week for BioCentury. We'll be kicking off our 28th annual Back to School issue. This year, we're doing something a little bit different. We're delivering Back to School as a week-long multimedia event beginning next Monday, September 7th, with essays and data charts produced daily and complemented with exclusive audio interviews with select industry leaders. Simone, what will Back to School address this year? What we're doing this year, as we do every year, is use Back to School, our essay, as BioCentury's message to the industry. And I think it's really pretty clear that the industry is at an inflection point in some ways. So what we've seen in COVID-19 is just this tremendous energy and pace of drug development forced by circumstance. And obviously, we hope we're not in a pandemic again, but there are lessons and we feel that there can't really be a return to the 13 plus years it takes to make a drug or a therapy or vaccines. What are the things that have been done during COVID-19 by drug developers that could really get entrenched and embedded in drug development going forward? And we really pick this apart to come up with some specific recommendations. Jeff, you talked about multimedia. We're doing it slightly differently this year. And I'm really excited about the podcast interviews we've got. We've been interviewing leaders across the industry. So we have CEOs from several of the major pharmaceutical companies, Vas Narasimhan, CEO of Novartis. We have Mark McClellan from Duke Margolis and a former FDA commissioner, of course. Kate Bingham, who's leading the Hay Vaccine Task Force. And uh, Martin Landry, I think, is a really interesting one. Martin Landry is an Oxford professor who is, of course, one of the two people who has stood up the recovery trial, the master protocol that's really been gathering a lot of interest and a lot of commendations from across the industry. One of the questions is, what can we learn from that? I've heard you guys talking, obviously, about these interviews, and I'm really excited to be able to listen to them all once we finish wrapping them up. I have to jump in, basically, and also say that for people listening at home, we are aware of the irony of calling it back to school this year because many of our kids are not going back to school. They're staying right in their bedrooms and, and they'll be on Zoom. I think it's fitting that we did a lot of our back to school coverage this year as podcast interviews. That's the way everybody's going back to school. Right. It's all by Zoom. Absolutely right. <laughs> that's, that's... I, I want to jump right into what's been going on with FDA, Steve. What should people think about suggestions that FDA could grant an EUA for a vaccine based on phase two data? So EUA is an emergency use authorization. I think that the problem is more fundamental than whether the FDA should grant an EUA based on phase two data. It's really whether, as you said in the introduction, whether people trust the FDA to make a decision that's based on the public health interests of the American people and really of the people of the whole world, 
or if their decisions can be tainted by political factors. I think that the Commissioner Stephen Hahn has lost credibility with the American people. He's not trusted and he's not going to be able to get that trust back. The only way that a decision can be credible and believable is if it comes from career FDA staff and if it's vetted publicly and endorsed by outside experts like the Vaccines Related Biological Products Advisory Committee that's going to publicly meet on October 22. Steve, I think the credibility thing is really important. And what does it mean for drug developers and drug developers who are making vaccines? How are they supposed to think about navigating with FDA and they interact mostly with staffers. I think that Han, by so closely embracing President Trump and by actively engaging in what are perceived to be partisan political activities, has really created a difficult position. And it's not one that drug companies can directly do anything about. I think that they have to continue to do things the best that they can to try to put the public interest first and foremost, which I think that companies have been doing in this crisis, and that the only path forward is going to be through public transparency and by scientific consensus around the decision-making that FDA has made. It can't simply be left to Stephen Hahn to make a decision and announce it at the White House and say, trust me, I did what was right for the American people because many of the American people don't trust him. And the consequences of having an approval that many American people and many people around the world don't believe was scientifically justified are really horrendous. It's something that we shouldn't have to contemplate. All right. This is going to be one to watch for sure. Thanks for that update, Steve. Last week was another busy week for biotech venture financing. Crossover investors poured into two Series C rounds by cancer companies. We had Precision Cancer Company Kinate raise a $98 million Series C round led by RA Capital. And we also saw blood-based cancer company Freenome close its Series C at $270 million. Bain Capital and Perceptive Advisors led that round. Virginia, thanks for joining us this week to talk financing. What trends are you seeing in venture financing for biotech so far this year? It's been a really busy year, and despite some concerns early in the pandemic that venture fundraising might slow down, we've actually seen the opposite. So far this year, biopharma companies have raised more than $21 billion across 450 venture rounds versus about $18 billion raised in the first three quarters of 2019. And a lot of these later stage crossover heavy rounds are really driven by investors riding the wave of interest in healthcare IPOs. So Kinate and Freenome are just two examples from the several that we've seen this year. We've also seen venture firms themselves raising large funds. Back in the spring, we had Arch and Flagship raise more than $1 billion each for new investment vehicles, and those are primarily focused on new company creation. But we've also seen several European funds raising more than ever before. Andera Partners announced plans earlier this month to close a €450 million euro round by next year, and we saw LSP and Gilda Healthcare Partners both close on funds 
exceeding $400 million. That would have been unheard of in Europe just a few years ago. There's really no shortage of funding out there for private biopharmas, and that really goes for both early and late stage companies. And that would be Andera's largest ever fund. I recall when you spoke with the firm's Olivier Litska early this month, Virginia, and he gave you a really good quote. He said, now there's a good amount of money available to do what is necessary under good conditions, not drip feeding, not always doing it the cheap way, but doing it the right way. And speaking of big funds, we can't forget about China's Qi Ming which raised a $1.1 billion fund, which the firm unveiled in April. Led by Nisa Leon on the life sciences side, the firm has seen six of its portfolio companies list so far this year, most recently CanSino. That's the COVID-19 vaccine maker. It raised $750 million in a follow-on offering on Shanghai's star market. It's already listed in Hong Kong. Can I just go back to the European one? I think that's interesting because one of the things that has really characterized European venture over the last, I don't know, decade plus, is that they usually have lower rounds, right? And they've been more prone to what we've used the term drip feeding rather than the big rounds that occurs in the US. I just wonder whether these new funds and this new environment do you think is going to change that? Are they saying that they're going to change the amount that they put into their venture rounds? What I've heard so far is that it's not going to significantly change how much individual companies are raising. Rather, it's going to be spread out to more new companies. There's a lot of really great early stage science happening across Europe, and they're looking at creating more new companies out of that bigger pile of money. That's actually really cool. One question I don't know if you can answer. Another problem that Europe has had is that they don't have the growth capital. They've always needed to go to the US market to raise the kind of money they need to get to phase two or phase three. That's been a challenge. We do have a couple of companies like GenMab that are really bellwether big companies there. Do you think that environment might change? I know that Forbion actually raised a fund earlier this year that's specifically focused on maturing biotechs and growth opportunities. And I think we've saw a couple examples of that in prior years. I, I am expecting to see more of those funds come up in the near future. Actually, that's one of the ways in which the Zoom environment might make a difference. One of the reasons VCs always say that they want to move companies is so that they're around the corner, they can go visit them. And there's this sort of very much based on a geographical presence. And so as we all move to this sort of world where you could live anywhere and do your job, I wonder whether that's going to make it easier to have companies spread all over the place. Perhaps it will finally give Steve and I our opening to open BioCentury's Phuket office office. <laughs> We're halfway there. You know, it's happening. <laughs> Excellent. Thanks, Virginia, Simone, and Steve. This has been a fun show this week. All of BioCentury's coronavirus coverage is available in front of the paywall at biocentury.com slash coronavirus, where you'll find our COVID-19 resource center, where we're tracking nearly 800 vaccines and therapeutics. All of our podcasts are available at our website on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple, and Google. 